Hi, I'm Maddie, and I don't have a hobby. Hi, I'm Haley, and I have too many hobbies. And I've taken it upon myself to get Maddie hooked on just about anything. In this podcast, we're talking true crime. We're talking Enneagram. We're talking mental health. We're talking Scientology. And just about everything in between. So we're inviting you on a journey that you definitely didn't ask to be invited on. In the hopes that you too would like to be Average, average girls Average and Welcome back to Average But Owning It. We're going to jump right in to our hot take of the day. You want to know what it is, Haley? I would love to know what it is. All right. It's unpopular opinion. Okay. Food edition. Food edition. Here's like an unpopular one. Okay. That you like or that you don't like? I love. Okay. To my knowledge, most people don't like. Okay. Pickles. Oh, no. I love pickles. But it has to be dill pickles. Dill only. Do you like bread and butter pickles? I don't even know what that is. I hate peppers is my thing. Like bell peppers? No. The only kind of peppers that I like are banana peppers and they have to be cold. I only like banana peppers. You don't and like I can t- green pepper. No. Oh, my God. They, red pepper. I remember I had a friend in high school who used to Salty bring – No. I can take them if I, like, barely even taste them in things, but not, like – I would never be like, oh, can I have a bite of that yellow pepper? Oh, I love peppers. No. Wow. I had a friend in high school who I convinced for, like, three years. She was my best friend in high school. I can. I told her that I was allergic for. I think it was like I, I said it as a joke one time, and I just stuck with it for years. It was like a running joke that was only for me. Don't know why. And I remember our senior year of high school, she made like her mom made like a cheese ball like appetizer thing, and she was like, "Let me ask my mom what like if she put peppers in this." And I was like, "It's okay, it doesn't matter." And she was like, "What? Wait, what?" <laughs> she was like, "No, you're allergic." And I was like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> okay, so that's a food that you hate that most. Like, yes. Which I guess is popular. Yes. What about the other way? Like, I feel like most people don't like pickles. But I, I love, love Brussels them. sprouts. Do people too. don't like Brussels sprouts. I love seafood. Some people don't like seafood. I oh, Something that I hate that majority of people that I know love, ranch. Oh, that's right. And you also don't like avocados. I hate ranch. Don't like avocados. The texture really freaks me out. Oh, and I love ranch and avocados. Okay, cool. Well, okay, that's our hot take. So are you guys, are you, are you guys, and also Maddie, ready for right now? I guess so. Uh, I actually am interested in today's today's topic. Okay, so um, obviously I'm a very big reader. Mm-hmm. I read all the time. This book I finished in like two days, and it's called Andy Warhol is a Hoarder by Claudia Kolb. Um, and it's about it's the like tagline on it is inside the mind of America's greatest or history's greatest personality. Okay, I'm gonna start explaining. I oh, so there's like a bunch that are in there. I picked um, a few that I thought were really interesting. I mean, I think all of them are interesting, but these are like some of the more commonly known ones that I thought were really cool. I want to get you on a history kick, is slash psychoanalysis kick. Okay. Yeah. I'm scared but ready. Okay, and that's. The best thing you can be. You know what I mean? So this first one uh, begins on June 1st, 1926. In LA County Hospital, there is a baby born by the name of Norma Jean Baker. Do you know who that is? Norma Baker? You're going to – it doesn't say her name the whole time if that gives anything away. Um, oh. Yes. 
Baker Act. Nope. Mm. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, Norma so. Norma Jean. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. Don't you worry. Um, her name was changed several times throughout her entire life. Um, oh, I know who it is. Who is it? Is it Marilyn? It is! Norma Jean Baker grows up to be Marilyn Monroe. But before that, her name was originally Norma Jean Mortensen. Um, it's changed to Norma Jean Baker. She's born to a woman whose name is Gladys. Um, at this point in her life, by the time Norma Jean is born, Gladys has already had two kids from a previous marriage. That She married her husband whenever she was 15. But obviously this is in the 1920s, so right, like everything's fair game, um, including 15-year-olds. Gladys gets married, has two kids. They get divorced. The kids live in Kentucky with the father, but Gladys just tells everyone that they're dead because that is a little bit easier. Wow. So if that tells you anything about Gladys... We've got some issues. The first issue being her name was Gladys. I'm tired of a cute girl, which I don't know if Gladys is cute. Let's look up her name. But I'm so tired of cute girls with weird and whack names. Seriously, I could name a lot, but I think that they might know. Okay, Gladys Baker is a cute girl. She is. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have this conversation later. Right now, we're talking about Gladys. Okay, okay. So basically, a lot happens in the very beginning of her life. Um, whenever Norma Jean is born, she eventually the father is first claimed as Gladys's second husband, but then she claims it's a guy that she worked with named Edward Stanley Gifford, who's a film cutter for Hollywood. But then she just changes the baby's last name to Baker, which was her last name. So. A lot happens. It's and, already a bit chaotic. Right. And so this starts like the um, – because she already doesn't know who she is. It's like a – ends up being like a weird foreshadowing for the rest of her life of like this weird shifting of identity, which is common in what DSM diagnosis, Maddie Hood? Shifting of identity? Mm-hmm. I like DID. Okay. That would be like very, very extreme, lesser form. Okay. Do you want me to just give you the answer? No. Correct answer? Borderline personality disorder. But that's what DID used to be called. No, that's multiple personalities. Okay, that's what I thought I was saying when I said Which one, DID? DID? You thought borderline. I thought borderline. Okay, okay. Borderline is basically you diagnose it with like an ex- – this is like obviously very general, but – very, very intense interpersonal relationships, shifting identity, chronic emptiness. Sometimes it's referred to as the um, I hate you, don't leave me disorder. So it's super like, oh. yes. And so people often like confuse it with depression or with bipolar. It usually goes misdiagnosed a lot. You're, it's like the high maintenance disorder of like I'm a super complicated person um, who so it's not has like the idea at all, no. really. Mm-mm. Okay, but it's more closely related to bipolar. Yes, it's most okay. it's most commonly associated with bipolar. A lot of times, I've even had clients who've been diagnosed as bipolar, and in my brain, I'm like, no, you have borderline. Sure. Okay. So yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't what I thought. Yeah, it was more like you guess like bipolar, and it's more common to that. But the difference is too is that bipolar is more like long periods of depression with longer periods of mania versus borderline you're having like day-to-day switches more often. Mm-hmm. So people say like, oh my God, you're being so bipolar, but really your, your mood swings if they're changing day-to-day are more borderline. That doesn't mean you're going to be diagnosed with borderline, but it also doesn't mean you're bipolar either. Gotcha. Um, it's marked identity disturbance, intense interpersonal relationships, emptiness, suicidal ideation. Um, mm. Usually it has a lot of suicide attempts. And they're called, like, the frequent flyers of the psych units because they 
are going to do just enough to say like, oh yeah, somebody will save me if they care. And if no one cares, then no one will save me and I'll die. Very complicated, right? I'm like fascinated by borderline. I think it's so like, I don't want, I would not want to spend my whole career just doing that. But like, I think it's like, I just want to understand. It's a super complicated disorder. Yeah. Sounds super manipulative. Mm -hmm. But for people that have borderline, a lot of times by the time they get a diagnosis and they realize that, they're like, oh my God, I hate that I'm like this and I can't fix it. Um, so whenever Marilyn is still Norma Jean, um, she's growing up, her mom has intense mood swings and she realizes very quickly that she can't provide for her. So whenever Norma Jean is a baby, she finds a church-going strict couple and she offers them $5 a week to become foster parents to Norma Jean for the next seven years. She finds them yep. and offers them that herself. Yep. I don't know if that's legal at this point, but whatever. But on the weekends, Gladys is still coming to visit her. So Norma Jean's very confused because she's like, wait a minute, who am I calling mom, basically? Um, And the woman who's her foster mother is like kind of cold and is sort of like, no, that's your mom, and is giving her no other explanation. So she has already has weird identity issues of like, who am I supposed to be attached to as like my mother figure right now? Um, but at the same time, she's spending weekends with Gladys and Gladys is super cold and distant towards her also and is always telling her to be quiet and not to annoy her. Um, while she's on a visit, she sees a picture in her mother's house of a handsome man with a thin mustache and a slouch hat and imagined it being her father. She just like assumes that that's him. And I put in quotes on this daddy issues, question mark, question mark, at age seven, um, Gladys takes Norma Jean out of foster care and they get a house near Hollywood Bowl. So already she's kind of set up for some issues here. Um, but then whenever Norma Jean is eight, right, whenever her life looks like it might be kind of normal, her mother has a nervous breakdown while Norma Jean's at home. And so she hears like screaming and then laughing like a maniac, like has no idea what's going on. She just hears a bunch of loud noises. They call the police and or the hospital or whatever, and they end up putting her in a psych unit. She's diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And so she spends the rest of her life in now of institutions. Wow. Okay. And so just cool. because of that, Norma Jean ends up in and out of foster homes throughout her entire life. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that interesting? She, like, just bounced around from different places and from, like, family, friends, and all of that, like, whenever her mom was out. Um, And she has a history of mood disorders in her family. Her grandmother was diagnosed and institutionalized whenever she was diagnosed with bipolar. Uh, But obviously that was, like... Okay, so bipolar, schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And now whatever she has. Yeah. So basically it runs in the family. Something is going on. And granted, she was diagnosed with bipolar, but this is like 1915. Like who knows what the heck she actually could have been diagnosed with had we had the resources. Also, you can't tell me that Marilyn isn't sexier than Norma Jean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes. Point proven, right? Um, Yeah. I mean, in general, you're like, heck yeah, I need a new identity. She's rotated through foster homes. Um, she also claims that she's sexually abused while she's in the foster homes, which is probable considering it's 1926 and nobody What's cares about foster kids. Of what? Kids that were molested? That are sexually assaulted in foster care. Oh, pro- like very high now. I mean, relatively high now. I mean, I think there's more resources available now, obviously, than there were in 1930-whatever at the time where she's in foster care. So I think it was probably pretty high then. That's just very very sad right because no one's making you be a foster parent right yeah it's and it's disgusting very very disappointing mm-hmm. yes. um the problem being is that um people that are diagnosed with borderline they one of the tendencies is just to color whatever 
childhood trauma you went through with a different lens um, and sort mm-hmm. of embellish and dramatize like what happens. In a negative way or in a positive way? No negative. To say like, look at all these things I've been through, which, but the other problem is borderline also has an onset of usually people that ha- are diagnosed with borderline have a link to trauma or neglect so in their past. So they have trauma. It's there. Yes. They just embellish on it. Right. Of like, this defines me forever. And with personality disorders in general, it's hard because that person either doesn't acknowledge their disorder or doesn't want help necessarily. Hmm. Quote, unquote. Like, yeah, other people are the problem, not them. Hmm. Even though there's, like, this deep-seated insecurity of, like, I'm not enough. I'm empty. This is a quote from the book, um, which is so good, by the way. Um, In a quote from Marilyn in one of her writings, she says, As I grew older, I knew that I was different from other children because there were no kisses or promises in my life. I often felt lonely and wanted to die. Isn't that just sad? I think the part that made me sad was like there were no kisses or promises in my life. Kisses. (laughs) It just made me sad. Like no one cared about her. Yeah. And the only time she says that, the only time her mother gave her attention was whenever she told her how beautiful she was. So she just immediately. physical. Yeah. Associated Mm. that. Um, That's crazy. Another thing that's in the DSM as a key characteristic of borderline is profound emptiness. And it's kind of like a, like a clinical thing to diagnose borderline. <laughs> if you, if you um, talk to someone with borderline and you ask, like, do you ever feel empty? Almost all the time you're going to get some variation of the response like, oh, of course I do. Like, doesn't everybody? Like, everybody feels like that. Like, oh, of course I'm empty. It's just like this feeling that they've had forever of like, they're, I have nothing to give and I am, yeah, this like intense, intense longing. Um, That's very sad. Right? How do you approach contentment? Exactly. Um, One of her husbands refers to her as detached and centerless with a misguided sense of self-worth. She was like super chameleon-like. Just really sad. She must detached and centerless. I wonder if she's a four-wing three. (laughs) This is where we Enneagram type everybody. She just needs everybody else's approval and feels totally inadequate at all times. Sounds like a very, very unhealthy three. Yeah. It's something along those lines, probably, plus a borderline personality disorder. Um, Marilyn was married three times. Oh, also this um, next chunk is from a Vanity Fair article called Marilyn and Her Monsters, which was really freaking good. And I read the entire thing because it was so good, which normally I just, like, kind of pick apart at pieces. But this was really freaking good. Um, She talks about her first marriage. She got married at 16, and it was basically um, a hastily agreed to union that was essentially just to get Norma Jean Baker – Marilyn out of her orphanages because her caretakers moved away to California. And so he was like, yeah, I'll marry you. Um, but he didn't love her. Uh, he did, I think, but it was very, she describes her feelings of loneliness and insecurity and they hastily agreed to union is basically what it says. Hmm. Um, she has like a little writing thing where she says, I was greatly attracted to him as one of the only few young men I had no sexual repulsion for. Besides which, it gave me a false sense of security to feel that he was endowed with more overwhelming qualities, which I did not possess. On paper, it all begins to sound terribly logical, but the secret midnight meetings, the fugitive glances stolen in others' company, the sharing of the ocean, moon and stars and air, blah, 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 blah. Very wingful. I know. I had a, always felt a need to live up to the expectation of my elders. She basically just, like, wanted approval. Right. Um, her memory of the marriage, though, revolved mostly around her fear that um, her husband preferred a former girlfriend over her, which was um, Doris Ingram, because she was a Santa Barbara beauty queen. So she was like, no, she's been four years. Um, 
soon after that, she got into acting, started to get famous. A baseball player, Joe DiMaggio, for nine months. Super tumultuous relationship. No bueno, not good. Playwright named Arthur Miller for five years. Super super smart, so it's surprising whenever he goes for Marilyn because she's known as, like, the dumb blonde. And that's, like, her role in all her movies, apparently. I don't know. I don't even think she did. Like I, And she was really insecure because she dropped out of high school to go pursue acting and she didn't have like any push towards education because A, it's in the 30s, I think, or 40s maybe. Like her mom is in an insane asylum. Like she's not – no one's helping her. So a memoir later on in his life called Time Bends where he talks about his unstable marriage with Marilyn Monroe, volatile and tiring. She was always angry. Um, a troubled woman whose desperation was deepening no matter where she turned for a way out. With all her radiance, she was surrounded by a darkness that perplexed me. The last thing she would have wanted. Here's the knife to the ribs. Are you ready for this part? Ooh, this is the twist. Yes. Well, they live together. Marilyn decides she's going to go through. She's feeling very insecure in their marriage. She decides to go through his diary. Mm. He wrote how disappointed he was in her intellectually and sometimes was embarrassed by her in front of his friends. Oh, my god. Which she was very insecure about. Uh, Marilyn was devastated. One of her greatest fears was disappointing those that she loved. Mm-hmm. His betrayal confirmed that she, what she'd always been deeply terrified of, to really be someone's wife since I know from life one cannot love another ever really, as she wrote in her journal entries herself. Wow. So, yeah, she basically – that was like a big betrayal and sort of like was the nail in the coffin for their marriage. Very skewed view on true love. Right. Super like just depressing in general. Yeah. Um, and then after they started, they went, were going through their separation and she had another like breakdown basically. And she was in a hot, in and out of hospitals. Regardless of your upbringing, imagine reading that in your significant others. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Therapy. She tries to figure out what the heck's going on. She ends up getting a lot of sleeping pills and sedatives. She was probably addicted to those. Mm -hmm. Um, She becomes very difficult to work with. And a lot of, like, people that she worked with on set were, like, she was always late. She, like, couldn't get a grip on her life, basically. Um, 1962, she's found naked and dead in her bedroom in L.A. with a phone in her hand and pills scattered nearby. It was ruled a probable suicide. I didn't. I never knew that. Really? No, I didn't know Marilyn. You know how she died? Okay, it's another one of those things where it's a bunch of conspiracy theories of like JFK killed her because they were rumored to have an affair and all of these things. I never even heard that. Oh, really? No. What? No. I never heard that. It happened. It was a real thing. Bad story of Marilyn Monroe slash Norma Jean Baker and her borderline personality disorder. The more you know. The more you know. Very upsetting. You agree that she was borderline. I very much agree with her being borderline. Next person that we have is Howard Hughes. You know who that is? Eric Hughes. <laughs> Hi, Eric. It's our friend, Eric. Um, okay, Howard Hughes is from the movie The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio, which I have never seen. Um, so it doesn't make any difference to me except for the fact that I love Leonardo DiCaprio. He's our poster child for obsessive compulsive disorder. Ooh. Yeah, interesting. Long story short, story begins 1905 in Houston, Texas. Howard Hughes is born. He's the only child. Um, he has his father and his mother, Aline, which I think is how you say that. Aline? No, Aline. A. A-L-L-E-N-E. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Aline was known to be exceedingly close with her son. She doted on him um, to the point that she was kind of neurotic. And by kind of, I mean extremely. He was known as a socially awkward kid. He didn't have a lot of friends. 
Um, and she knew that she was being crazy anxious about like always being paranoid about him and always like making sure that he was clean, making sure he wasn't sick, like was constantly with him and was like doting on him 100% of the time. And she would say like, no, I know I'm being crazy, but I'm like, I'm just worried about my son's feelings and all of his illnesses. She was even worried about the soles of his feet were like a really big concern for her too. Like weird, weird. things that she was just fixated on. Um, they think with her, a lot of her fear was fueled by like epidemics of growing up with like all of these like crazy illnesses, mm. um, of like cholera and TB and polio and yeah. typhoid. She was quarantined actually twice whenever Hughes was growing up, um, in 1907 and 1915. And it doesn't, oh, there was a typhoid outbreak. And so he, she was like, had to be quarantined and separated from him. So that. it makes some sense that she was a little scared. Yes. Which is to say the quarantine experience wasn't sort of scary. Right, right. Um, but otherwise, Hughes was like a pretty healthy kid, like growing up, except for one point he had like a phase where he couldn't walk and he had to be put in a wheelchair. He was having like this weird muscle pain, but there was never any reason for it. They couldn't find any medical reason. So they think that it might've been in his head sort of, or like because of his mom's like touch of little Munchausen vibroxy or something she had going on. Yeah. Very much like um, so they think that he might have thought that because of his mom, like, yeah, always constantly exactly. doting him. Yeah, something like that. Um, in 1922, Aline goes in for a minor uterine surgery. She's supposed to be home that day. Um, but instead, she dies in the hospital. So she dies at age 39 whenever Hughes is just a teenager. Wow. Um, two years later, Howard Sr. Um, dies suddenly of a heart attack, and they oh. leave Howard Hughes an orphan. Mm-hmm. Wah, 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 wah. Um, with that money, uh, Howard takes over his father's business. He gets married to a woman named Ella. They move to Hollywood, and he's like, hey, let's start making movies. And she's like, okay, whatever the heck you want to do. He surprisingly becomes successful due to his determination and inheritance from his father's death. So he has enough money. He's like, oh, shoot. Let's start making movies. Love my life. Okay. Interesting. Um. So it's in his early 20s where he starts to develop behaviors that um, are, like, kind of lean towards the OCD side. But people at first just thought he was being perfectionistic about the way that he liked things. But really, it was probably the onset of more obsessive desires that started to border on compulsions. Because of his pickiness, his budget for movies was exceedingly higher than any other productions of the time. Um, So any of his stuff, he was like, no, we need to get it this specific place at this specific time. Yada, 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 which ended up racking up charges for whatever movies he was starting to make, which is crazy. Um, the, one of the weird things that alleviated his anxiety that was just constantly, like, plaguing him was flying planes. Weird. <laughs> yeah. He was referred to as a different man in the air. He was suddenly, like, so relaxed and so calm and, like, just loved his life, which is where they get the aviator from, from, like, mm-hmm. the movie of him, like, being in the air and being a totally different man who just suddenly didn't have OCD. So in 1932, he formed the Hughes Aircraft Company. And in this chunk, I have, in all caps, read from chunk of the book. So let's see what I have here. Around this time, um, when did I say this? It was 1932, like shortly after that. Um, I'm sorry, 1942. It's during World War II. Um, a government contract tells him that he has to build the largest aircraft ever designed to transport military supplies and personnel. It's called the H-4 Hercules. And they give him, like, all of these things about how it's supposed to be constructed. But he agreed to it, even though it was, like, supposed to be built in 10 months, even though he thought that was ridiculous. It was way too long. 
they gave him a $9.8 million budget um, and he was obsessed with getting it done. And they think it was kind of like his onset for like $9.8 million in mm-hmm. 1942. Yep. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. But apparently he like wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping, was basically losing his mind over this like project, which they think was like caused him most of his, not most of his issues, but um, you know, a fair chunk of his onset. Yeah. Um, and around that time he begins repeating instructions to the people that worked for him, which was like their sign. He would just say stuff over and over again. And they were like, why is he doing that? Like we get it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Researchers believe for those that have obsessive compulsive disorder, it's an evolutionary response that's considered an overreaction. So whenever the brain sees dangerously or potentially dangerous stimuli, they can have a tendency to overreact like short circuits basically. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, get all of it. Um, But they say that actually what's weird about OCD is that other animals do it too. Like there are certain animals that have obsessive compulsive disorder. It's like a primal evolutionary response. Interesting. Weird, right? But Hughes's OCD was so severe that it wasn't focused particularly on one thing. Like some people have, you know, I need to touch the wall this many times or lock the door this many times or whatever. So that this doesn't happen. It was like, a million things at one time. Um, he was sometimes functional and sometimes really paranoid depending on how much stress was in his life. Uh, for example, he only ate Hershey's bars with almonds, whole milk, pecan nuts, and pull in bottled water. Only? Only. So he got like I mean, sickeningly skinny. Have you ever had a Hershey's bar with almonds? <laughs> That's actually pretty good. That's my diet. Is- I say I'm on the Howard Hughes diet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it can be called a Diet. diet called Howard Hughes lifestyle. Yeah. I'm just saying it's good. <laughs> I hate you. At least the Hershey bar. <laughs> Anyways, um, everything had to be delivered to him in a brown paper bag, rolled from the outer edges at a 45 degree angle. He then had to use Kleenex to reach into the bag to get his food. Very OCD. He lost so much weight and he was always sick because his immune system was just trash at that point. Can we which... talk about how people think they like their pens in a straight line and think that's OCD? They're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm so OCD. Yeah, like that's not no. true. Like people with OCD, mm-hmm. it takes away from their normal living. It's like debilitating. It looks, yeah. yeah, it is. It's like, like impact. It has to be like affects your daily functioning. Exactly. And it's like, you cannot help but do something. Yeah. I don't want to. For I have to. no reason. Yeah. And you have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not cute. It's sad. It's really sad. Um, it gets sadder. <laughs> okay. Hughes gets divorced from Ella. Poor Ella. Don't know anything else about her. He remarries an actress named Jean Peters. <laughs> this is literally how their relationship described. They watched movies together, but he required that they live separately. Wow. Which is how I feel I will be with my I husband. I was just going to say that's how you feel, at least about your sleeping oh, arrangements. I'm going to be like, oh, let's snuggle. And then as soon as it hits midnight, can you go to your bed? Why don't you just get a big enough bed? I'm going to. I'm going to have to get a California king. Like I, It's another incentive to not get married until I'm financially stable because I need a California king. I just don't understand that because I want to wake up next to somebody every day. Oh, I am a snuggler. I will be all up in your grill and then it's going to hit 2 a.m. and I don't want you to see my face when I'm sleeping. 2 a.m.? That's You go to bed at like 8 No, I know. I'm saying like mid-sleep. Why not? Who cares? And I think I like being alone when I go to bed. No, you're just used to that. Well, like, okay. The idea that scares me most about marriage is sleeping with another human being. In my Which is should be the least of your worries. Okay, Maddie. So you and I are different, okay? 
Very. <laughs> but I'm telling you, like, you'll have to overcome a lot bigger things than sleeping in the same bed. Like, mm. chances are his 2 a.m. Mm. mouth open sleep isn't going to be cute either. Mm. You're right. Um, she Okay, here's the other thing about Jane Peter. She had to call through his staff members to reach him. What? Because I guess they didn't have cell phones. I mean, she's like calling. She had to be like, hello, I'm leaving a message with whoever his assistant is or whoever to like get to him. Basically. Okay. Well, I get a receptionist. She needed permission to go to the doctor because he was so scared of doctors. Interesting. So if she was sick, he she had to get permission. Um, I don't but like somehow it. miracles happened. They were married for 13 years before they divorced, even though he had all of this debilitating stuff. Um, by the end of his life, Hughes was hooked on codeine. He was extremely dehydrated, delirious, severely underweight. He was codeine 70 years crazy. old. He was 70 years old, and he weighed 93 pounds. Wait. I think that was my birth weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's 93? How he, died. he died in a helicopter ride um, on the way to a hospital. I truly don't think I could ever achieve that weight. Mm-mm. I could stop eating. What? And I would not be that. Okay. That's, that's what I was saying. Anymore. I was like, mm-hmm. you could stop eating. So that is a very sad story of Howard Hughes and his obsessive compulsive disorder that really Messed took over his life. life and made him very, very upset. Shoot. I blame the cholera. <laughs> All right. You ready for another sad story? Yeah. Okay. This next one. Basically, this chapter in the book made me a little upset. So, Claudia, I have this against you. Upset? Yes. It says, um, you know, like you might have thought that this man was from downtown Manhattan because he's so cool and artsy, but really he's from the gritty streets of working class Pittsburgh. Okay. How rude is that? Um, To me and to Pittsburgh. Okay, mostly to me. This, in 1928, was where Andy Warhol was born. I do like Andy. Ah, uh, Andy, we love you. Um, but I do take offense to the gritty streets of working class Pittsburgh slightly. Like, I just kind of wanted a little bit more. Why? Because it's not gritty. Sure it is. Anyways, you don't know anything. Um, <laughs> Pittsburgh and I are both offended. I love you, Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> 1928, Andy's born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Good old home turf. Andy is described as a kid as shy and artistic, but he also is very ill. He was diagnosed with Sindaham's chorea, you know, the good old Sindaham, uh, which is a neurological disease caused by an infection. I've never heard of that. Don't know what that means. Never heard of that. It basically caused involuntary muscle movements, and he had, like, blotches and discoloration all over his face, which, like, kids probably bullied the crap out of him, you know? That's That's upsetting. Um, But because of that, he didn't have a lot of friends. He read a lot of comic books. He became super artistic. (sighs) Did his mom, like, love him? I would have endless love. Most cases, the black sheep will Mm -hmm. be my favorite. Yeah, I guess that's true. I I agree. Whereas most of the time, the black sheep feels that they're the black sheep. But you're going to be like, no, you're my favorite because you're the black sheep. Because you're special. You're just special, honey, and no one deserves you. Um, And also I laughed whenever I was reading over this too because I refer to him as Andy throughout this entire thing. Like we're just like childhood buds. I only called him Andy too. That's weird. Andy. Oh, Andy. I love I you. also had a high school friend named Andy. I think maybe that's like subconsciously why I'm just comfortable with Andy. Andy Comfort, if you're listening to this, I hope you're doing well in med His last name is Comfort? Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You can now refer to me as Haley Comfort. <laughs> Andy, are you single? 
I physically think so. I don't Just really kidding. keep up. Andy. <laughs> Andy, I have nothing to say to you. I don't really um, know what Andy, this Andy, Warhol, not comfort, enrolled in the Carnegie Institute of Technology with the money that his father left him when he died suddenly at the age of well, Andy, Andy was 13. He did not die at the age okay. of 13. Um it's like, well, wow, this is a short story. It was the year that he started using unconventional approaches when it came to art. Because turns out he was kind of good. He basically started collecting things as the idea was like for his art of like, oh, I need all these things to work on my art, basically. The book refers to this as where his preoccupation with abundance began. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, oh, I think I know what he is. I forgot. To, well, considering the name of the book, Maddie. Oh. Mm. <laughs> if you haven't picked up on it, we'll get to it. Um, I also forgot to mention, he's born in 1928, so he's basically, he's a kid in the Great Depression. So he grows up with that mindset of like, I have nothing. Yeah, things are very, very hard. If there's like a theme in general for all of his stuff, the theme is literally stuff. It's like, <laughs> I mean, like I know his famous thing is like the Campbell's chickens. What is it? Tomato soup? Not chicken yeah. soup. Like, See, to me, it's like the color pop. And it is, but all of his – it's like very abstract yes, stuff. Yes, for know? sure. Um, he also was known for taking an entourage with him wherever he went and began what, what was known as his possession obsession. Mm. Um, he relocated studios and he started just collecting a bunch of stuff and just throwing it everywhere. And like his studio was basically a hot mess. And at first everybody was kind of like, oh, this is, he's just an artist. Like this is all right. of his things and this is artistic expression. And this is like how he functions and where he draws yeah, inspiration so from. Yeah. Um, Sounds like my mom. <laughs> just Mary. can't throw anything away. He was a frequenter at flea markets, antique dealers, and in galleries. And every time he went, he was like, I'm taking anything I want. Especially once he got successful, it was like he could pay for it. And he was like. Was his excuse like to draw inspiration from these things or just to accumulate? I think it was just to accumulate. I think sometimes he could. I think that's the excuse for it was like. Oh, no, he needs these things for art. But eventually it was like, no, I need all of these things. And he was known for being like his clutter was just like totally chaotic. Hmm. Um, But there is a difference between clutter and what's a hoarding disorder in the DSM. Which is what he was, a hoarder. Right. Um, If you have a hoarding disorder, the rooms that you have in your house or wherever you're hoarding things can't be used for their intended purpose because they're so filled with stuff that someone just refuses to get rid of. So like a kitchen cannot function because there's things that are not meant for a kitchen. Mm -hmm. Did you ever watch that show Hoarders? I kind of (laughs) felt sick watching Mm -hmm. those shows. So I didn't. I couldn't watch it after I watched a family had like a they found a family, they went to clean out their house and they found a family of possums living in their house and didn't know it. And I was like, yeah, I can't stomach this. Yeah. I think the point that I decided I couldn't watch it was the maggots. Yeah. And I just could not fathom being in a house Mm -hmm. with that in it. Uh, Well, another uh, defining characteristic of hoarding disorders is that you have this like procrastination that's like, also very compulsive. And it used to be hoarding disorders were an obsessive compulsive disorder. It was like under OCD, under OCD, but huh. it turns out that they took it separately and put it as its own category because it's yeah. not the same because it's not regimented at all. 
it's very like things are everywhere at all times. Like he was known for having like lost receipts everywhere and like stuff that you didn't need. Like dirty napkins. Why do you have that? And why can't you get rid of that? He was like, no, I need it. Very weird. Right. Um, but there were no logic to how things were maintained and kept, which is another thing. But he often knew that he had a problem and he would say, I just want white walls and a clean floor. That's all I want. He would say that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I like, I hate that this is like this. They said that with him, a lot of it was like after his death, they looked at pictures that were taken of his house and there's just piles and piles of boxes and junk all over his very expensive furniture. Interesting. Um, a lot of people say that, well, they say the hoarding is evolutionary too of this desire to like hoard whatever you have because you could run out kind of thing, like a mentality. Um, but it's also the fact that he did grow up in the depression and his family did struggle financially. So it's like, he probably had this like, thing with abundance of like there is a possibility that I'll have I won't have a layer of fear that you could go back to what you grew up with yeah very scary so Andy uh goes in for gallbladder surgery in 1987 um and shortly after that surgery he dies of a heart attack um an auction is held at his home Newsweek calls it the biggest garage sale ever it raises 25 million I'm sure there was a lot of stuff to get rid Yeah, like you, like you probably just literally had a ridiculous amount of stuff. Um, so that would be Andy Warhol as a hoarder. It's sad, but it's not nearly as sad as the other ones, I would say. Yeah, I think hoarding is hard to have as much empathy for. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, maybe. I don't know. I kind of still feel bad. No, no. It's not that it. there's no empathy. An emotional yeah. trauma. Mm-hmm turned into a personality disorder. personality disorders make sense to me. I guess that makes sense. But I think it's just the physical things. Mm-hmm. I have a harder time. I didn't grow up with that much either. Yeah, but you throw things away. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. I also didn't grow up with nothing. Yeah, like it It's not depression. like I was like, in the Great Depression. <laughs> Imagine calling your mother and being like, I can't believe I was raised in the Great oh, Depression. Oh, yeah. If she heard that, she would probably she, cry. Yeah, she'd just She did head. as much as she could. There are people that probably did grow up like you and still have hoarding disorders. Not everybody that has a hoarding exactly. disorder grew That's up why to become. It's, it's weird to me. You could... I'm sure there's people out there that grew up with like everything and then some. And then had it a hoarder. And for some reason are still hoarders. I don't freaking know. All I have to say, Andy Warhol was a hoarder. All I have to say, Andy Warhol, I made an art project. You grew up in the gritty streets of Pittsburgh and I respect you. Because you know why? Because I did too. I made an art project for you, Andy Warhol, in sixth grade. All right. Okay, next one. Who do we have next? This one is one of my favorites. Ooh. Um, and I was really surprised when I read this because I did not know that Lady Diana Spencer. Who's that? Married Prince Charles at age 19. Oh, Princess Diana. Princess Diana. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful woman. Our story begins on July 29th, 1981. I'll preface it with preface it with this. I think a lot of people are obsessed with Princess Diana. Yeah. I just really don't like I obviously care about her in a general sense mm-hmm. and like what happened to her and the effects mm-hmm. but I also am not like one to fangirl mm-hmm. anyone I think she's a common one for mm-hmm. people to be like oh my gosh I love her yeah I think it's the fact that a this story once I tell you might might pull on the heartstrings a touch but I also okay. think that it's after everything was said and done and honestly before i guess too 
she's super like philanthropic, like a total humanitarian. Mm. Like, See, it might be because mm-hmm. I don't know much about her. She very much went against the grain of the royal family of like what is taboo and was like, no, I'm I'm actually in the, the middle of the AIDS epidemic and I'm going to go help people that have AIDS. Okay, I love that. Yeah, like stuff like that where she was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that just because you say the royal family's telling I feel like Meghan Markle is a mm-hmm. bit in that lane as well like right vocalizing certain things and really being herself i love her for that yeah for sure i think i just maybe am a bit uneducated about her as a whole uh-huh. which i think is just a lack of research on my part so i might end up really liking her i just know she's like a common person that people are really interested yeah. in about that i really just haven't taken up i think you might like her okay i think so if she's like philanthropic mm-hmm. i will you're, probably you're like buying her. in yeah. yeah um yeah and i think that you well okay let me get into the story because i think i don't want to give away why i think that. okay um so she marries prince charles at age 19 at saint paul's cathedral she young. comes out of that limo She's wearing a lavish silk taffeta with puffy sleeves. Define 25 taffeta. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, it's fabric. I don't really know how to describe it. Basically, I was looking up a bunch of information about her family and how they ended up getting involved. It's very long and complicated because it's Britain and it's very confusing. So I'm just not even going to get into that. Basically, um, Francis and Johnny Spencer of Norfolk, England, were desperate to have their male heir. They had two daughters and then they had... Um, an infant son named John who died um, shortly after his birth. So basically they were like, this third one needs to be a male heir. Taffeta. Sort of similar to silk. Taffeta. <laughs> yeah, I okay. just wanted to look up a picture. So they're looking for their male heir. Instead, Diane was born. Diana um, always thought that she was a disappointment from the very beginning. Um, and she just thought that if John had survived, that she wouldn't have been born, which is very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it doesn't seem as if her parents tried to make her feel that way. Apparently, they loved her, but, you know. So, Diana's family has their male heir, Charles, after her. Um, But the parents get divorced right after because Diana's mom has an affair. Um, And so, then after that, Diana is bouncing from house to house. Her parents are divorced, um, and which wasn't super common at the time. Right. Um, And so, she already feels, like, very other from other children in general that are her age. And so, she already has a very low self-esteem. Oh. I know, very sad because she's so beautiful. She and I mean, it's sad whenever I wish she knew how big of an icon she was. Right, exactly. And I think that was part of the reason where, like, it like there was too much pressure at age nineteen to like be this princess 100%. of like I'm not enough to yeah, do this. I would feel that right now right. at twenty three. <laughs> I do feel that right now. I feel that right I'm now. not a princess. And no one knows my name. God, and I'm a princess in no one's eyes except for some of the the strange uh, sugar daddy men in my DMs that appear sometimes. at the gas station. They call me princess. <laughs> okay, where was I? Diana marries Charles in 1977. She's 16 years old. Um, he at the time is dating her sister very briefly it was like they were kind of just feeling it out mm-hmm. um, but at the time he's 29 oh yeah interesting um, he's like an eligible bachelor though he's like the it guy and she says um, and I'm going to read from the book now because this is like a chunk that's like super interesting but it's kind of um, I want to get it word for word but I had no idea the age difference there. right I didn't know that either 29 and 18? Um, It says, uh, I remember thinking what a very jolly and amusing and attractive 16-year-old she was, Prince Charles later said in a formal television interview after their engagement. 
Diana's first thought about Charles was pretty amazing. He was, after all, the most eligible bachelor, heir to the throne, next in line to be king of England. Um, but later on, she says that Diana's ass assessment was far more blunt and tempered by her sister's relationship with him. Um, and she said, God, what a sad man, she recalled. My sister was all over him like a bad rash. And I thought, God, he must really hate that. Hmm. I kept out of the way. I remember being a fat, podgy, no makeup, unsmart lady. That's how she thought of herself. That's literally how she thought of herself. Fat. Fat. Yeah, literally. Podgy. Isn't that absurding? Uh, absurding. That's not a word. That's literally not a word. <laughs> it's, uh, I think I meant to do absurd and upsetting. Um, That's sad. It's very sad. And just like the fact that she was like, I'm going to – I'm going to end up marrying this guy because I think he's sad. Oh, my God. Am I going to marry a guy because I think he might be sad? No. If you do, that's the most unhealthy two thing well, you've ever done. You're right. But, like, no one would let you do I'm that. I'm at risk for that as well as Diane. Okay. So, thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad I'm not for being <laughs> no in a situation where – No complex here. Oh, God. I'm so glad you're going to save me from being princess. Um. Okay. So, around this time, as she's describing herself as that, I you can tell. I wonder if he was sad. He probably was. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. And we'll also get into why we think you might be sad. Um, hmm. At the time, um, Diana joked a lot about how much she could eat, especially when she wasn't hungry and until she was uncomfortably full. This is described Same. as me. No one besides you. Oh, an eating disorder. Binging. Binging and purging. Which is? Bulimia. Yeah, bulimia. Um, so she binged a lot. She realized that she was good at it, which – Diana. But she also threw it up? Yes. So oh. she realized that it was like a um, a release of tension, sort of, is what she like realized. So she would go through all this emotional stress, especially like as this engagement comes, which I'll kind of explain in a second. And she feels super isolated and lonely. She'll emotionally eat, hate herself, think mm. she's ugly and fat, mm. throw it up. Uh, and she would feel better afterwards. And she was like, man, this is just like magic. This is great. And I'm going to look awesome for my wedding. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So she had this during the engagement portion. Yeah. So they so they date for six months. And then they're engaged in February 1981. And then around the time that they're engaged is whenever she has like, at least it's described as her like first real onset of the bulimia. Mm -hmm. Because she's so isolated and lonely. Because no one else is having that experience besides you. Like that's like such a confusing time in life in general. And yeah. you're like, oh no, I'm about to be a princess. There's this fancy family that I have to impress. I have to like look a certain Yuck. way, be a certain way and be like posh about it. And so she's probably just like super alone. You can't be like a normal 18 year old girl. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. Um, but it also didn't help that it was common knowledge everywhere that Charles was still in love with um, Camilla Bowles, his former girlfriend. Camilla. Camilla. Um, who she he is with cute. today. Um, oh, uh -huh. I don't know if I like this. I know. This is why I knew you were going to get on this train very quickly. Um, it was his former girlfriend, but the thing is he wanted to marry her. Uh, the royal family told him no because I, I believe it was because she was divorced. Is I'm pretty sure what the reason was, but I'm not oh. to fact check that because I, I don't have it written and I don't really remember, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So turns out he couldn't marry her, so they broke up, but they were still in correspondence all the time, and then he's engaged to Diana. So Diana's immediately insecure because she's like, wait, do you used to love her? I would be too, right. 100%. I think it's just justified. Like, who is this woman, and, like, do you love me or not? Be with whoever you want to be with. Don't play games. Mm -hmm. It's not that Charles, hard. calm down. Um, she also says it's a part in the book that just made me super sad. Um she says she remembers a specific time during their engagement where she said, my husband's hand was on my waistline. And he said, oh, a bit chubby here, aren't we? 
No freaking way. Uh Uh-huh. No way. She said that um, triggered something in me and suddenly I was desperate, desperate, which I think is a really good – like for some reason that just like made me very sad because it like – I feel like that's the best way to describe bulimia in general of like this feeling of like, oh my God, this one thing happened and now I'm just desperate to get it out of me. Yeah. Like I just like all of a sudden it was like get – this the f out of me right now like for some reason it just made me super empathetic towards her of like i have to be this person that i can't be and he just said this thing and he had no idea i pushed a button and i need to be done she already has insecurity issues she thinks you're in love with another woman and then you touch her waist i would cry i would cry and sock him at the same time oh my god i'd be more i would just be mortified like i I would would never look in the eye how dare you? Yeah. Like, and the fact that she literally wasn't chubby. Right. Exactly. I At know, all. That's what's disturbing about uh, – well, there's a lot of things that are disturbing about it. Um, another what one of the jerk. disturbing things – I don't like him. Her waist goes from 29 inches to 23.5 inches in that amount of time of their engagement. Wow. Yeah, like drastic, drastic. So it's probably – it's pretty obvious that not only she had bulimia because bulimia, your weight usually doesn't fluctuate like a lot versus you – know, Because you're binging and purging right. at the same amounts. Right. Um, a lot of the time. But so she probably had anorexia as well. Mm. Um, so they go on, they get married on their honeymoon. Um, Charles and Diana fight over Camilla because she realizes that they were buying each other gifts to celebrate the wedding. Um, Camilla and Charles, she bought him like cufflinks. He sent her, I think it was like a bracelet or a necklace or something like that. And she found out about it. He's sending her gifts about his wedding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it was kind of like this peace. Uh-uh. I don't know if it's like a peace offering, but like a uh-uh. we can't be together, but I'm I'm like still supporting you and I still love you. Mm, no. No. <laughs> with um, so they fight over it. He's nah. not supportive. She emotionally eats and then just throws it all up the entire honeymoon. And um, he sees this? Uh, not necessarily. He knows something is going on, but doesn't care enough. Okay. What um, a lame mm-hmm. guy. And she says the whole honeymoon, like she – basically just remembers like terribly she's like that was the worst because that's Mm. all she remembers is like throwing it all up because it was so emotional for her Mm. um so this happens all through her pregnancy with william as well um and she's binging and purging mm -hmm. wow um but luckily there's no like health issues that really come of that and then um, i can't imagine how a bulimic possibly anorexic person would feel pregnant pregnant i don't know i mean it didn't really say i don't know Kind of crazy. So she has William. She has Harry. She has postpartum depression um, a little bit too. And obviously Charles is a douche, so he's not helping her out. Ah. Um, but Gross. Charles describes this entire him. experience very, very differently, of course. He says that the princess was demanding, desperate for attention, very troubled. She was always empty and bored and feared abandonment. He felt that it was impossible to help her. And at this point in reading the, this – I was pissed <laughs> because here's my thing They it like was kind of painted as like, Oh, maybe she has borderline because it's like very intense. If it, she's attention seeking, impossible to help her fear of abandonment that fits borderline. Mm-hmm. But and it was saying that she also self injured. Um, and technically, um, sort of in the realm of self injury is eating disorders because she's like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's unhealthy. Right. Um, but I don't think she had any of that. I think she had a shitty husband. And I think she had a life that was really hard for being a 19-year-old. Like, I think it was way mm-hmm. too much pressure. Mm-hmm. There were way too many factors. I don't think she had a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. I think if if she hadn't married him and things had been different, um, I don't think 
that half of that stuff would have happened to her, at least to the degree that it happened. Sure, yeah. It just, like, it made me mad that she – and not even necessarily just him, but I think, like, I think I would have a very similar reaction. Not that I'm the picture of mental health. Yeah, but, but like, still. Of, like, if, my, if I knew aware. my husband was cheating on me and was in love with someone else and uh. I have to be this, like – model wife and I can't get divorced and I have to be this this like person that I don't know how to be because I'm 19 and I don't even know how to be me yeah. and now I'm a mother it, that and just a, feels like way too much in I the public eye yeah Diana went to weekly counseling in 1990 through 1996 love it love going to counseling American yes. dream is everyone goes to therapy yes and in this case a UK dream um, and then in 1986, her and Charles are officially divorced. Um, I didn't add anything about her death because I don't like to think about it because I think she's a hidden gem that did not have a personality disorder. You don't? Okay, so you think? No, I think she was depressed based off of her circumstance. I don't know if she would have ended up developing depression later on in her life. but So what did they diagnose her in the book? Just bulimic. Um, eating disorders in general. Eating disorder, mm-hmm. but not personality disorder. Mm-mm. Not necessarily. They said it was considered like bounced around in general of like the idea that she might, but I don't think she Is did. Is it common for people to think that she had a personality disorder? It was just considered based off of what Charles and I guess maybe like the royal family I maybe had an opinion of her that that like because of her fear of abandonment, but I don't think that her fear of abandonment was crazy given the circumstances. Gotcha. I think if you find any, like, wife that's been cheated on, she might have that. And I wouldn't diagnose her as borderline. I'd say, like, wow, you're in a crappy marriage. Yeah, screw you. What's Charles. Name? Charles. I like that name, Charles. But I don't like you. <laughs> but I don't like you, boy. No, I do um, not. But that was actually also what made me sad whenever the whole Meghan Markle and Harry thing happened. It's whenever almost they, like a repeat. Well, in different you, ways. Did you hear what he said in his, like, press release thing about why they were separating from the royal family and kind of like living their own life. He said like, um, I don't want to, and this is totally, I might be butchering it, but he said something about like, I don't want to be a part of the same system that, um, that hurt my mom so badly. Oh, isn't that so sad? And he didn't even say mom. He said, mom, M U M mom, mom. That's such a, he loved her. British thing. So British and so beautiful. I quite frankly think Kate Middleton is not very happy. I, I hope she is for her sake, but I wonder if she is. Yeah. I want to, I feel like if I saw her in person, I'd want to look her in the eyes and just see if she'd give me like the bad hundred percent. I think if like, I get saw her eyeballs, I'd be I able to be like, Kate Middleton, blink once if you're okay. <laughs> Are you okay, honey? Oh, she's so beautiful. I just want to, I feel sad for her. I wonder if she gets jealous that Harry and Meghan kind of got out. Just did But maybe thing. she's just like, this is her life and she has three kids and she just like, has made her home in it. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. I mean, you kind of have to. We're moving on. We're moving on. Okay, I cut off Maddie while we start our next one. Okay, Maddie. Yes? Who was our 16th president? (laughs) I will tell you this. I don't know anything about history. Is it someone that we've kind of talked about before? Yes. He's a prominent one. I'm going to guess it was Abe. It was Abe. Abe was our 16th president. I think he was my favorite. You think? Just Even though I don't know <laughs> And I know a total of three presidents, and he's my For sure. favorite. Okay, Lincoln. Um, when people describe him, they talk about how he's really, really tall. Yeah. He has the hat. He's got the beard. He's on the penny. The other thing people say about him is that he was profoundly 
sad looking. Yeah, he was. Um, William Herndon, who was his law partner, is quoted as saying that Lincoln had the saddest eyes of any human being he had ever seen. The melancholy dripped from him as he walked. Lincoln was born in 1809 in Kentucky. Um, But because it's 1809, a lot of people are always dying from a bunch of illnesses because that's how things went in 1809. So basically his mom died at one point. He had a sister that died. He just had like – like people around him were just dying all the time. Um. So it was like his being a kid was just really traumatic. But Lincoln was known um, for his storytelling. Um, people called him the man on the log in his like little village area because he would just sit on a log and tell stories to the people in his town. Isn't that what? sweet? That's precious. Right? Because um, apparently he just like came alive and got really like jovial whenever he would do it and just like, I don't know. It just was really sweet. Um Lincoln was in his first term at the Illinois State Legislature at age 26 when he begins, right, when he begins to suffer from his first episode, his depressive episode, what they think was probably his first. Um, He has a friend who dies suddenly and all of a sudden Lincoln just becomes super socially isolated. He starts taking like long walks in the woods with a gun and everyone gets like really alarmed. So he's walking around in the rain, which also feels like something I would do when I was just having a bad day. Have you ever done that? Uh, no. You've never just walked around in the rain? Not when I was sad. Oh, my God. Do I have a disorder? No. No, I think people do that, I think. Right? Right? I also have world's worst memory. But, no, I don't recall ever. I remember playing in the rain when I'm happy. I've done that, too. I think I just love the rain. But you're also, like, you don't take drives whenever you're sad, and I do. Like, I need to, like, get out and walk around or be in the car or something. (sighs) I definitely mentally internalize it first and then I have to express it Mm -hmm. in order for me to like move past something. But like going on a drive really doesn't solve anything for me. So I don't do it. Huh. Interesting. Well, if you're anything like me and Lincoln, we walk around crying in the rain. Um, (laughs) So he has a couple weeks or months where this is like going on, going through a rough time. Um, And then five years later, he has another stressful time in his career or he has another depressive episode. So this time's worse than the last one. He um, supports a bill in the Illinois state legislature where it accidentally <laughs> derailed the economy in Illinois. Okay. Um, obviously not his fault. wasn't anticipated. Um, he also broke off his engagement with Mary Todd um, around the same time, a woman that he was engaged to, um, he broke it off because he just was feeling, like, super anxious about the whole thing. Didn't feel like it was right. Sad. I know. Did he Pure. end up marrying her? He did, yes. Okay, I was going to say, I did a, I did a project on her <laughs> You're in, like, like Wait a seventh grade. But I knew You're like, that man, moment. I should have failed that project. <laughs> um, around that time, he had to have people remove the razors from his room because he didn't want to be along with them. So he's just Baby. having a hard time. Oh. Um, but everyone in the town knew about like what was going on with Lincoln, how he was just like sad and depressed and scary. Um, and they would poke fun at him. What? In that setting, they called it hypochondriasis. Hypochondriasis, chondri- yeah, I think. Why? Um, it's a mild form of melancholia at the time is basically oh. what they referred to it as. And they were like, oh, God, look at sad old Lincoln, basically. I know so many people with melancholy. And just thinking about it, I now have melancholia. (laughs) Sounds like melancholera. Cholera, yeah. Which is like even more sad. (laughs) Um, Overall, he was just considered to be gloomy most of the time, um, even though he was also considered to be like a really good-natured guy. Um, 
he did marry Mary Todd, um, and they did have four sons together. And obviously, those were some of the better times of his life as he's like going into his presidency and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they did think though that it's possible that Mary Lincoln had a disorder of her own uh, because she was known to ha- be really angry, have a lot of like mood swings and outbursts and stuff oh. like that. Yes, but we obviously I don't know enough about that. That's basically just what the book said. Um, but we're going back downhill again. In the time that they were married, two of Lincoln's four sons died. Um, yes, I did. Not yeah, know. so Willie and Eddie. Um, I believe it was. Ugh, this might be wrong. Eddie died whenever he was three, and Willie was like the favorite child that like was really really hard for Lincoln to get over. Um, Mary's assistant said after he died, um, "I never saw a man more bowed with grief. Um, His life was just freaking hard. I mean, it's like the 1800s. No one's life is easy. Like the effing civil wars going on. Yeah, time, but." Um, the war was really hard on Lincoln. He took a lot of it personally that all of it was his fault. Like all these people were dying because of him, Oh God! which I can't like imagine what no. that would have been like at all. He said in 1964, uh, in 1864, <laughs> Jesus, um, Lincoln said, I was nearly as inconsolable as I could be and still live. Oh my God. Doesn't word. that sentence just what hurt you? Sentence, right? Yeah. Like, oh God. They did try medicine, though, which I thought was really interesting. interesting. Turns out super toxic, but <laughs> they tried. What, what medicine? Um, I can look it up now because it's in this book right next to me. But it was like some sort of weird like mercury blend oh, of something. I know. Um, no. Yeah, I think they were just like blending stuff and they were like, yeah, 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 it should be fine. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't, but he lived like he's good. It probably just like made him kind of sick. Okay, so he tried medicine. Obviously, it didn't work because it was just a bunch of toxins and no one knew what they were doing because it's 1864. The only That's thing. crazy. The only thing that seemed to help him. How sweet. Stories, poetry, and humor. Aw, buddy. <laughs> That's the best way to describe Abraham Lincoln. Buddy. Um, it's also believed that de- uh, depression might have been something that happened in the Lincoln family in general, but it's obviously impossible to know because it goes back. You know, so far. Um, but it also could be that there's a lot of traumatic life experiences in Do that we history. know any direct descendants of Abe Lincoln's I, family? I don't know, Maddie. I, I would love to Facebook that person. <laughs> or they just a Lincoln. What was his nickname? Honest Abe. Are you honest? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being a descendant of Abraham Lincoln getting a Facebook message. <laughs> Literally like a hundred a hundred and what is it, hundred and fifty? I'm so bad at math. I'm so So bad. many years later, just from Maddie Hood in Lakeland, Florida. Are you on? Okay. Now I hear this part's really sad. Are you ready to be really sad? On top yeah. of all the sad stories we've heard. It's April 14th, 1865. It's Good Friday. Lincoln um, is on the way to go to Ford's Theater with his wife to go see a show. He's in a profoundly good mood, so much that his wife is shocked by it. And she said he was in such no. good spirits that day. And he was joking and he's jovial and he's having a good time. The war's ending. No. He accomplished everything. Don't tell me. Who? And then he lives a happy life with who? Mary Forever. Huh? And also, he's shot by John Wilkes Booth. He just spit on my bottom. I was trying not to laugh at the assassination of the 16th president. 
Where but you were so upset, it was funny. John Wilkes John Wilkes Booth is a jack. What a loser. Who would kill that man? Uh, a racist? Yeah, a racist. <gasps> He's like a Confederate. I don't think he fought for the Confederacy, but I think he was a Confederate sympathizer. Perhaps I didn't do any research. Disgusting. Disgusting. Um, yep, he shot him and they tried to take him across the street to like a little inn to get him medical attention. But imagine the medical attention in 1865 when their version of antidepressants are straight up mercury. So <laughs> he was toast. I don't like John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> John Wilkes Booth. You try saying that ten times fast. I'm glad that we clarified that you don't like him. I really don't like him. I hate that guy. <laughs> you try and say his name ten times fast. John Wilkes Booth. 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 Okay. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm an idiot. Um, all of that to say, if you could hug any of these people, who would you hug? What? Abe. Oh, okay. That was, I didn't know that you were saying what because it was like an obvious. obvious. Oh, 100%. Yeah. How tall is he? Like, I think he was like six, six or uh, that's a guess. I'm just see. saying at some point, I hope his wife let him be the little spoon. <laughs> <laughs> he needed that. I know he did. He was six, four. Okay. <gasps> Look how endearing he looks. I just. He oh. just, he's so weird looking, and I just want to, he probably, his life was just so hard. Okay. Okay. Abe is he's off the table. Large. Who else would you hug? I think I, I mean, I would hug all of them. I would hug Princess Diana, but I also really want to hug Marilyn Monroe. I would still hug Abe. No, if, if Abe is off the table, Maddie. Oh. <laughs> so Marilyn, Andy. Howard Hughes. Howard. Princess Diana. Princess Diana. I <laughs> think I would hug Diana. You think you'd hug Diana? She was just sad. She felt like, but I think her, I think Marilyn's is, I think one of the most heart wrenching is Marilyn's because she just killed herself and it was just done. Oh, I forgot she killed herself. Yeah, that's just really sad. But I would just want to hold <sighs> Diana, let her cry. Mm-hmm. I think Marilyn was more complex. She would have done that. I hate you, don't leave me. So it would have been harder to love her. I think I would have just like walked up to Diana's husband, Charles, <laughs> and like decked him in the mouth. <laughs> And then just like held her there, and been like she probably would have just she would have fought you for a second like this is weird, and, and then, then she would have lowered into your shoulder and yeah, just wept. and just like, oh, oh, Diana, Diana, honey. And on three we whispered Diana one two three Diana. <laughs> I love her. I yeah. she was so beautiful. If I could hug all of them at one time or Abe Lincoln. I would hug him. Aim. He was so sad. He makes me really sad. All right, Maddie, how do you feel about history now? Um, is this Abe's son? <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know. Facebook message. Is, fine. is this Abe Jr.? <laughs> We're just looking through pictures right now on Google Images of Abe Lincoln, but there's also pictures that are definitely not Abe Lincoln. That's definitely George Washington. <laughs> God, I thought I was dumb. Okay. Maddie, I'm really glad that you enjoyed this. Does it feel better to psychoanalyze people in history? Yeah, I think everyone's lives individually are fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is very hard for me to get into history in general. Yeah, that isn't like deep dive. No, yeah, that isn't a deep dive on personal, individual. Mm. Okay, I see that. Um, 
The book also has a million other people in here. There's also Christine Jorgensen, Frank Lloyd Wright, who I almost said because Frank Lloyd Wright's was super interesting too, Mm -hmm. but it made me mad. Uh, Betty Ford, Charles Darwin, George Gershwin, you know that guy's name, who I couldn't pronounce the other day, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Um, yeah, you have to say it because that's not that's not coming out of my mouth right. Sir, whoever you are, he's we owe an, you this honor that we author? cannot. He was a uh, composer. Oh, composer, yeah. Potentially or a playwright, maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'll, I can look it up. And Albert Einstein, who I also almost did because this was really interesting. Yes, this book is amazing, amazing, amazing. I finished it in two days. It was great. Um, I don't know how you do that. I'm a genius. Call me Albert Einstein if you must, which you must. Um, okay, this has been fun. We will see. We still haven't figured out how to end these on the next episode. Um, yeah, we don't even know what that's going to entail. Bye. Uh, bye. Average. <laughs>